Welcome to Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. In this new weekly podcast series, you'll hear from healers and experts in removing addiction and improving overall mental health. You'll also hear from lived experience advocates revealing their secrets to living their best life. Now here's your host, MC Counseling's Mike Carroll. Today, I'm joined with Sophie Agdami, who is an addiction recovery coach. She's grappled with addiction and turned her life around in Thailand at a retreat that helps people with addiction. She uses many of those methods taught there in her addiction coaching today. Sophie, welcome to Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. Hey, Mike. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you all because we're obviously seeing each other on Zoom at the moment. It feels like I know you because we, you know, we communicate so much via Instagram, which is the first time that we, uh, that we you know, started to, to obviously communicate. I'd like mm. to start by talking about your story and how addiction played its way into your life and how like removing yourself from your then current environment and traveling to Thailand changed your life. For sure. Um, and yeah, by the way, it's great to speak with you as well. Thank we, you. we communicate so much and I do feel like we're really good friends. So it's really nice to have this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so addiction uh, wasn't present in my life when I was growing up at all. You know, it wasn't there. I had a beautiful childhood. I, I grew up in Switzerland and uh, moved there when I was two. And uh, yeah, it was it wasn't apparent in you know family or community or anything like that. We grew up predominantly in very uh, small Swiss villages that were surrounded by farms and you know neighbours that were a few hundred meters away. So it wasn't really um, a, a crazy lifestyle growing up. Um, and then moved back to went back to the UK at the age of about twelve. Right. And um, you might know the culture in England uh, in terms of drinking and things like that. It's fairly rife over yes. there. And for me, it started fairly young, you know, in my mm. teens. And um, it wasn't a sort of have the first drink and I was hooked. I just, but I did love mm. drinking. You know, I loved being sociable. I was an absolute butterfly when it came to being out and about and um, going to parties and things like that so it sort of came hand in hand really and it's mm. completely socially acceptable over there um to a worrying degree now and um, mm. I realize um but at the time it was super fun um mm-hmm. and so drinking became a big part of my life um and it was an enjoyable part of life it then was with me when I went to university and I had also been working in pubs um, from quite a young age, which probably helped things along. Totally, um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it really normalised it, actually, Mike. You know, being mm. around people, even if you're not having a drink every half an hour, you're around people that are drinking from the moment you start work to the moment you finish mm. and then afterwards as well. So it was just normal, um, very normal to see people very, very drunk, mm. um, obliterated or just or just enjoying a few. Mm. Um So I then went to university and I also worked in some um, restaurants and clubs while I was there, um, continued with this, um, you know, love affair with alcohol, enjoying it and going out and things like that. And then when I finished university, I decided I actually wanted to get back into the restaurant industry because I loved it so much. It was quite different to my degree. And what happened there was, um, you know, over time, 
because the hours were so long and it's, it, it was an incredibly stressful environment, what became normal for me was this behavior of drinking. Um, and it would sort of start creeping in earlier and earlier. You know, um, someone might come in that I knew really well. They might end up coming in for lunch and they'd say, oh, do you want to drink? And they were having one, so why not? And, you know, mm-hmm. that would sort of continue. And then after work to wind down, we would have a couple of drinks while we were cleaning up and, you know, doing doing the, the, the cleanup and everything. Mm-hmm. So... What then happened next was um, it got progressively stronger um, in the evenings and we would, you know, heavier drinking sort of took place. But as a roll on from that, the drinking would start earlier in the day as well because Mm. the hangovers were getting stronger um, and it became very acceptable because we were all in the same boat to say, should we just have a Bloody Mary this morning just to kind of, you know, get us through. Mm -hmm. So... That then became the norm, um, and suddenly drinking in the day was completely normal. So, um, you know, even on days off, it was just normal to go out and go boozing because we were trying to relax from the stressful week, Um, but it was just counterintuitive because we'd feel awful when we started work, you know, afresh, um, and the whole cycle would continue. And I think the main turning point for me in terms of realising that this was really an issue was... um, when it became secret drinking. Right. So um, I'd started having these blackouts and things um, and it was sort of laughed off because we were in that industry and we saw that happen all the time. Mm. Um, But over time, closer family and friends were showing some concern for it and I wasn't ready to give up. So instead, I took it up a notch and would do it in secret. Um, You know, that might have looked like uh, having a couple of glasses before people came round, you know, for dinner so that I was topped up and in my zone before they got there. Um, Or, you know, it was fairly mild to begin with, but that then progressed into fairly um, extreme secret drinking where, you know, I would have various hiding places around the house and I became an absolute... um, you know, panther at sort of being able to quickly take a glug here or there and um, and then reposition it um, and then yeah. go back out and what I thought was act normally, um, <laughs> yes. which of course I wasn't. Um, that, that act normally thing, it's so I so resonate with that, Sophie, yes. Yes, yeah, it's amazing how we think we've really pulled the wool over people's eyes when totally. clearly see us swaying and reeking of... <laughs> Yeah, whatever it is that we've just felt. Um, so I was sort of trying to pull the wool over my own eyes, I think, with it is the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, But what had happened was there'd been a whole shift in my mind. So this was now part of my habits and my behaviour, and it was also um, my coping mechanism for anything, um, stress, anxiety, Um, even good times, happiness, you know, anything, this was the reaction. Mm. So it became very ingrained and it became a big problem for me, actually, Um, clearly. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. There were some times where I um, attempted to quit and I would do very well for a month or so um, and I would feel great, Um, but I would eventually celebrate by going out and having some champagne or going for for some drinks or something. So the whole cycle would keep continuing. Mm. Um, There were a few rock bottoms and I really thought, okay, this is the time. And then that's 
when it became harder and harder to pull myself out, I realized, okay, this is really becoming an issue. Um, Anyway, that happened a few times and it all came to a head really when um, I'd had another sort of fairly severe episode um, and my brother came over to see me. He flew over from Switzerland um, because I was in the UK at the time and um, he had a chat with me and said, look, this is, it's all okay, um, but, you know, why don't we try and sort this out together? And Actually, I mean, it, it brings up a lot for me now just talking about it because his compassion mm. at that moment was such a turning point for me to surrender to this because I felt felt like I wasn't alone. Um, As you say this, I've got shivers and I don't even know your brother, but that compassion, it's so beautiful. Sorry I to interrupt you. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. It's, um, it's, it was life-changing. Yeah. You know, it really was just... When someone shows kindness, um, it, it can go such a long way, and it did, um, and his understanding and lack of judgment and all those sorts of things. So it was with him um, that we collaboratively came to the decision that I would go to a rehab um, in Thailand. So, um, I mean, being the champion that he is, he actually flew over there with me, um, stayed one night, and then flew back to Europe. So Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Amazing. Um, And I was there for five weeks and it was really tough, really tough. You know, there was a lot of confronting stuff. There was a lot of hard work to do, Mm. Um, but it was amazing as well. It was, it was hugely life changing. What I realized was I needed to remove myself from my environment. Um, You know, it's, it wasn't a case of running away. It was a case of getting some air to breathe in and I needed to remove myself from that shame from that environment where it was so so accessible and there were so many bad memories and so on so the program I was on was um mainly CBT focused actually and there was also a 12-step element that I actually resisted quite strongly while I was there I can understand Um, that (laughs) (laughs) and um but, but nonetheless, all of those components did their thing. You know, there was benefit from anything, everything. Mm-hmm. And there were also some great other features. You know, I had a huge um, uh, benefit of having a beautiful gym there and a pool and they had great nutrition and great therapists and psychologists. So the whole thing was great in itself. So it was a huge life changer for me. Um, I did then go back to Europe and started feeling these niggles of... Um, history you know the sort of my brain started getting a bit anxious just at the memory of all this sort of stuff so I then actually went over to Indonesia and took a break from work wow yeah it's been a spent a few months there um working on my on my recovery it was a dedication um, and commitment to myself and my health and um it's the best decision I've ever made because while I was there there's a huge recovery um community over in Bali actually and so I was you know within that which is great but I also was introduced and worked with recovery coaches over there who really helped me um empower myself to um do a lot of work on my routine and my habits and you know have a look at my perspective and how I could really better my life and all those sorts of things so I was there for a few months and that's what really inspired me you know here we are now. That was actually the beginnings of the inspiration behind what I do now. 
um, as a addiction recovery coach myself. Yeah, and that's like my next question. What was your inspiration for the work you currently <laughs> you currently work in? I just wanted to go back a step because it wasn't like you were just drinking with your friends. You were you were working in an industry where alcohol was the industry. And mm. as well as that, you were working in the UK that and please I love my UK friends, so I'm not putting them down at all, but I know my, one of my closest friends is is from the UK, and and like she, you know, tells me about her brother when when they go back there that you know he'll just you know it's days down at the pub and he has pints pint after pint after pint, and even the issue in regards to um to drink driving almost doesn't exist in the UK, and so some of the issues that we have in Australia where when we're trying to um, you know we've got to be careful obviously how many we drink before we drive etc cetera, etc cetera. you you really had to to deal with like that as part of when you were young and it's like that started to really be part of what was the norm in life and although you, correctly you weren't drinking while you were serving the drinks but afterwards that then became the norm of of what we do after work we we have a drink so you were in the bar, obviously, drinking, uh, having a few afterwards. And then, of course, why when you go and do something else or if you've got somebody coming over for lunch or whatever, you would have a drink because that's the norm of what you work in. So it's like taking it to the next level, isn't it? Something very hard to to really escape from because it's it's been ingrained in you like that. From Absolutely. Yeah. When it's not something that you, you actually had when you were growing up, it was later on in your life, as you were saying. Absolutely. Yeah. There was no influence of that kind of thing when I was younger. Um, and actually moving, being in Australia now, I know, you know, there must be uh, drinking, a lot of drinking that happens here as well, but I'm not privy to it. I don't, I don't see that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in comparison, you know, and I love the pubs in the UK, you know, they're, they're stunning, they're gorgeous, you yeah. know, hundreds of years old, lots of them and food's amazing and stuff. But yeah, the culture is massively, massively based around drinking, or the, or the world I was in was anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was very freeing to then for me to come to Australia and feel like there was less, almost expectation to drink, actually. There's a lot more acceptance, um, I've noticed, in my experience in Australia, of saying I'm not a drinker. People just accept it, whereas in England I would come, come up to a lot of hurdles um, and and sort of questions about it, yeah. I think. So, yeah. It's really interesting that you say that because it's it's like, you know, I, I suppose I haven't been in, in that position of, of being overseas and then back here, but but I love that you, that you find that in Australia it's not like that. It still is very much a, you know, a drinking culture. I think we've done a very good job with football especially, with AFL. If you go there to the game, I think... I'm not an AFL supporter myself, but uh, living in Victoria, I've got to talk about it. Uh, but, but the fact is that, you know, the, I think it's, just, it's only um, uh, mid-strength beer that you can buy um, at the games as well, which I think is a great thing. But we're definitely in a situation right now that there's, you know, massive sales of alcohol and because it is legal compared to, you know, cocaine, heroin, cannabis, etc., it's more accepted in this country. Um, and that's the the hurdle we've got to to, to, to go through. Um, in and in, and also, sorry. That, yeah, please sorry. go for it. Yeah, I was just going to say a couple of things on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, the first thing that came to mind was um, 
you know, this increase in the drinking is clearly a symptom of other things going on. Um, so other mental health issues, um, challenges, you know, there's all sorts of things that people are going through now because they are, you know, within these four walls um, that's causing a lot more stress and anxiety and all these other things. It's a bit of a domino effect. And actually the drinking is the last domino in the, in the, uh, in the race, you know. So actually it's really having to look at mental health as a whole and see how we can make that better and improve people's lives to then minimise the drinking. Um, and the second point I was just thinking of too was we're in really uncharted waters at the moment and, um, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. Mm. And I think when it comes to wanting to have a bit of um, sort of knowledge that we know what we're doing in our lives, knowing that we have a bit of control over something is better than not having any control at all so maybe deciding to have a drink or deciding to do something is better than not doing anything does that make sense oh, it, make, it makes perfect sense and i'm sure there's <laughs> lots of people listening so oh my god she's so got it that's so the way i feel <laughs> at the moment and i think if i can add that we've got excuse me lots of men um that have never dealt with a mental health problem or had something that they don't feel sure about in their lives, they've always been, if not the breadwinner, they've always worked. They may have worked in a family business that's um, been successful, generationally successful, mm -hmm. that's now closed. And, you know, they go to the drink. Um, they go and, and have a beer and the beer turns into, you know, a couple of cases a week. And mental health for men has become massive, you know, will become massive even though it is now but we're just not I mean I'm dealing I'm working with it with lots of my clients but it's they're the ones that are that have come forward and said hey I just don't know how to deal with this I don't know what to do I don't know how to so you're right it's the the, the alcohol is like the last part in the chain of other things that are going on mm. so and that's you know one of the reasons for this podcast so people can listen and find someone that they do feel that they resonate with that that some of the obviously you've said before your 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 very CBT a bit of bit of twelve step because that's that's really the key to it you know and that's why with what I do I'm not trying to do one particular thing it's it's whatever works with that client because I know for me there were so many different things bits and pieces that worked and so in Australia if we can reduce that stigma that people have in regards to mental health. That's definitely a plus and that's a, a reason for doing this podcast and also being able to deal with that so then the addiction um, really takes care of itself because that problem has been removed. What are your thoughts on that, Sophie? Oh, lots to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that the stigma is still the big elephant in the room, um, yep. you know, and if we can minimise that or break that down, it's going to help things massively in this world. Um, feeling alone and isolated, I think, can be something that can keep addiction festering and feeding. Mm. So the more we talk about this, the more that we we normalise it, actually, because it is normal. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Better chances we have at helping each other and ourselves at getting out of addiction or addictive patterns and behaviours. Um, mm -hmm. It's crucial, really, because 
we're seeing these big rises, like you said, these big spikes and, and percentage growths um, all over the world, actually. It's sort mm. of a second wave pandemic. Mm. Um, mm. And it's one that I, I believe we have to tackle together because it's one we're in together. Mm. So it's so important to rally up the troops and, you know, do the great things like you are with this podcast and, and really get the word out there that it's okay to be going through this because there are solutions. Um, and those solutions do obviously look different for everyone. It might be AA for one person. Um, it might be CBT for another. It might be the gym for someone else. You know, different strokes for different folks. As oh, the I love it. <laughs> so true. And and just th- that is the most important thing with addiction. Um, it's not one. It's not one model fits everybody. And that's, that's a real part I want to get through with all the people that I talk with is that it, it's not the 12 step is right or wrong. It's not that NA or AA is right or wrong. It's about what resonates with you as an individual. We're not robots. We're human beings. As human beings, we're wired differently. Different things connect with us in different ways. For you in Thailand, in Bali, in, you know, the way that you were working you know, there were different things throughout your 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 life that you've found that have worked for you and you've been able to to put into what you do, as as do I. And so mm-hmm. that's the real important part in regards to looking at addiction. And it's also the part that you don't see advertised either. It's all about a couple of methods and that's it. And so if you don't align with them, you can be left feeling or left out. Completely. Um, in terms of updating people's thinking, we've talked a bit about this and, you know, defining people's sense of self because I think the sense of self has been lost a lot with people too, with the unknown, as you were talking about as well. Do you have any thoughts on on, on redefining sense of self for people, Sophie? Um, I think it's all down to being open to educating oneself and really um, being open to seeing what's out there and seeing a different perspective on everything. Um, You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it's all about living your best life. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the best sense of ourself is when we can question ourselves and say, are we living our best life? Um, And if we're not, then there's potentially some work to do in, you know, defining what what life might look like if we um, start working on that and seeing how we can improve it or, you know, take parts of it out like the addictions. Mm, I totally agree. And so if you are interested, and of course you'll be interested, um, all Sophie's details are on the little bio bit that you put on a podcast. Um, And so you'll be able to catch up with Sophie, the addiction coach. I so appreciate your time today. And thank you for joining us on Removing Addiction and Healing Mental Health. I'm Mike Carroll. More soon. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks so much, Mike. There are many ways to removing addiction from your life and many ways to improve your overall mental health. It is in our hope that we have opened your mind to see another way to live your best life. This has been Removing Addiction and Improving Mental Health. Join Mike Carroll next week for another episode.